You know what I'm saying? Yo, yo, man, don't trash my place. Ill Herb. Bass. What's good? Or how they say, what up? What's up? What's up? Now nah, I'm playing. It's your girl, Just Be Real. Welcome back for another dope episode of Just Be Real Podcast. We're continuing with our Nothing But The 90s series in a, in a podcast, right? Yeah. So this episode is specifically titled Nothing But The 90s Part 2, 90s Movies. Enough of me chatting. Let's get real. What's up, y'all? So we had nothing but the 90s part two, numero dos. As y'all nicely heard, House Party. If y'all don't know, House Party is one of my favorite movies of the 90s. Literally released in 1990 with Kid and Play, Tisha Campbell, AJ Johnson, um, Martin Lawrence. You had, you know, Daryl, um, which was D Smooth. You also had um the brothers why you get fucking on me tell me why why you get fucking on full force getting hype so it was just a dope as i don't know it was the beginning of the beginning of something dope i personally don't like it literally after house party four don't get me wrong love alexis feels you know marcus houston's decent but i feel like after house party three with bernie mac um that was that's where they should have stopped it when they had Bernie Mac immature TLC or which was then called Sex is a Weapon. Um, that was kind of like sure should have stopped because Kid and Play weren't in the rest of them for some after that like they weren't in four. And I feel like once Kid got married, that was the end of it where they should just called it quits like period. But y'all know two is one of my favorites too. Like okay, so anybody in college will tell you. That 90s movies, if there was a 90s movie, because that's kind of where my pinnacle peak was for my 90s fashion, where I literally started to dress 90s in college. And I could think the the retro kids, y'all might not know who they are, but they were like a group based out of New York that literally dressed 90s all day, all the time. They had one girl out the whole crew. She was always fly. They was always fly. They just embodied just free spirit. And I just loved it. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to dress like this in college. And I literally have pictures. I will post them for y'all at the end of this series so y'all can see my 90s looks because I'm sure if you know me personally, you know 90s is my aesthetic. Um, door knockers, anything, overalls. I love overalls. I hated them as a kid, but I love them as an adult. Crazy, right? Oshkosh, my gosh, my mother used to put me in them all the time. But like overalls, corduroys, hush puppies are my shoe. I wish they had them still. I would buy some and rock the hell out of them now. I used to hate them as a kid. Those are my back-to-school shoes. But now I'm like, damn, I wish I had my Hush Puppies still. But, you know, my whole aesthetic is 90s. Like, I, everything's vintage in my majority of my closet. Like, it's either stuff from my mom's closet, my grandma's closet. But it's literally, like, I thrift. So a lot of my stuff is, like, thrifted. So back to the topic of 90s movies. Well, 90s black movies, to be specific. Because um, we're not going to talk about 90s movies. We're all about everything black here. Everything black is what we're going to talk about. Because that's only we can speak from the experience of being black. And I was born in 1990, so I'm going to give it for a perspective if I was actually able to participate and just not be a bystander. You feel me? 
So hopefully all is well. Hopefully y'all great. I know I promised y'all episode last Sunday. Sorry about that, but uh, it was Mother's Day. And I still do have a full-time job. And I was traveling for work. And let me tell you, the girl was tired. So I literally slept all day Sunday. Did not move out of my bed. So I'm like, you know what? It was Mother's Day. Hopefully y'all mothers enjoyed. And if you are a mother out there, hopefully you enjoyed. Um, but it's crazy how May's coming to an end so rapidly. Like, what the hell? I feel like we just started May and already we're in the second week. Like, it's it's crazy to me. But it's it's even better because if y'all don't know, May 17th marks two years of Just Be Real Podcast. So I'm going to be nice enough on that day to bless y'all with a little something, something, a little, maybe a little bonus um, for y'all on the 17th, just to show my love and appreciation for rocking out with your girl for two years and six seasons. I think it's about 73, 74 episodes thus far of consistency. So shout out to me and shout out to y'all fan band for rocking with me for this long. It doesn't feel like two years, but baby, we're coming on year two. But you know, two years down, many more to come, 70 some episodes, many more to come. But back to 90s black movies, all right? So anybody will tell you in college, if you ever came to me, my first ever DVD was the Kid and Play collection, was the House Party collection, okay? I would literally, one of my friends actually could tell you, I would make her watch House Party every time they came over. And I, I didn't give a, a damn that it was mad that I was reciting every line. Same thing with House Party 2. Y'all know Queen Latifah in that. Ha <laughs> ha, that's my... <laughs> Shout out to Twin. Queen Latifah's in that. And y'all know my favorite songs in that as well. Optimistic by Sounds of Blackness. Especially, you know, the time of the scene where Kid was trying to do his paper after he already got pretty much kicked out of school. We was trying to still get the paper done for the professor, even though he had no access to the library and stuff like that. So, like, it was so beneficial. Like, it was dope, though. But, like, that was the pajama jammy jam. So, if y'all didn't realize on my 30th, I literally revolved my birthday around the 90s from my 30th because, one, it was 2020. And it was a panini. And two, I was turning 30, but I was born in the 90s. And I felt like me leaving my 90s, going into my 30s. And I needed something epic that represented me. So it was nothing but the 90s for my birthday party. So we had a jammy jam, which I'll post out of pictures for that too. If y'all probably don't remember what they were. But I had a pajama jammy jam where everybody dressed in their best 90s pajamas. Um, of course, y'all know I did over the top. I did Saved by the Bell with these crazy behind shorts I found. And some, you know, slouch socks, bobos in my hair, door knockers. Um, I had nineties balloons all over the place. It was called the theme was I'm just I'm just 30. I'm just 30. Y'all know I love a good pun play on words. I'm just 30. Um, endless elephants blood. I made bottles after we had gallons of it. And I mean when we drank every last drop, we drank every last drop. I had got a custom made outfit, which I happen to be wearing the shorts now from uh Steuben's Vintage Closet, which is something I learned from Taronda J. One of her her homegirls made me a custom. Two custom outfits. One had a J on the pants, which is what I probably wore, which y'all might have seen me with the balloons in the pictures. That actually had a large safety pin with the camo that has my name in these like little necklace letters that I'm wearing right now. And it had a camo shirt, a white t-shirt which had camo with the J initial. And then I also had got a custom uh, neon crop top that had 1990 and like bedazzled bling where I wore with a camo skirt and the Air Max 95, neon my 95s. So when we said we kept it nothing but 90s with my big ass box braids, we was on the 90s tip, on the TLC tip. And we literally just like everything was revolved around the 90s and it was just so dope. And they even got me a house party cake. 
Yes, a three-tier house party cake literally with like kid play, AJ Johnson, Tisha Campbell has speakers and everything. I'll post all these pictures for y'all. Trust me, I will be able to see the full aesthetic when I post this um post this episode. I'll be able to incorporate that in there with y'all and then I will wait to post my my actual outfits because I feel like I want to save that a little bit after when we get into, you know, next week's episode, which is 90s hip hop. I feel like that correlates more with that a little bit more. So I'm going to wait on that one. But I will share my birthday pictures and kind of like the aesthetics of, you know, nothing but the 90s, um, as well as my 90s collection of movies that I have and shows like My Brother and Me is not anywhere to be found. I have that DVD for the first and second season. I also have Global Guts, all that other stuff, but we more focused on the black stuff. You know what I'm saying? But House Party, I still to this day, is one of my go-to movies. My anxiety kicks my ass, like, currently right now, because if y'all don't know as well, on May 17th is my anniversary for my podcast. But if y'all don't know, unfortunately, or listen to prior episodes, I also lost one of my dearest friends on the 18th, um, Shay, which is I've dedicated a podcast episode, a couple of them, and I've referenced her, who I've lost, you know, in, in, ironically, in Mental Health Awareness Month, and... Um, She's very dear to me, and it was crazy because I had released my podcast and then got that news not too long after, the day after my podcast officially released. And then that was in 2019 um, that that happened. So I don't want y'all to think it was back-to-back. Like, she passed away in 2019, um, but I released my podcast as my coping mechanism to her passing and released it this, like, ironically, the the day before is when it was officially released, so it was kind of like a thing. And then the the year I released my podcast, three days later, my uncle had passed away. So my uncle was kind of like a father figure to me in my life. So that was, it, it's a crazy week for me. So if y'all know me personally and y'all listen to this, please show me some love. Shower me my love. I'm, I'm welcoming and receiving that. Me being transparent about this right now is different out of my norm because I am raised as an only child. So I mainly keep to myself and I'm okay with being alone. Solitude bothers most, but it's comforting for me. Solace and being away from people is a thing that I'm okay with being by myself where I don't need to have the attention of others. Where like, you know how people do it sometimes, but they want other people's attention. I literally do it and have no problem just being sitting in myself and by myself. So I'm trying to get out of the habit um, because next week I just feel like, I don't know, it's kind of rough. And I'm also still, like I told y'all, I moved. I'm in transition too. So it's a lot going on. Um, still, even with my job acclimating to that, like I said, I traveled. So y'all keep me in your prayers. If y'all know me, show me some love, send me some love, post, whatever, just shower me and I'm welcoming it. And when I say I'm welcoming it, I openly am welcoming all love, you know, encouragement from any one of y'all that y'all have for me in this upcoming week, because your girl's going through it. Okay. And I'm not okay. And it's okay to not be okay. But you know what? I'm tired of being a strong friend and holding a strong woman's stigma. And it's time for me to just, you know, continue to be vulnerable and let my guard down. So that's where we're at. But out of the morbid and more in the more, you know, the uplifting moment of why we're really here. So House Party to me is a classic. You know what I'm saying? But House Party is not, is one of many black movies that have been influential to the culture. And I say that with all justification because 
if you think about it, the 70s are more focused on black exploitation. We have like Foxy Brown, I'm a get you sucker, those kind of movies. You know what I'm saying? Where it's kind of like you got a man who's a pimp, you got somebody who's a hoe, she's Foxy blah, 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 she fucks her way to the top, whoop de boop, blah, blah, blah. So it kind of exploited, which is why it's called black exploitation movies, exploited black people. Get it? I don't know if y'all got that. Now I'm saying that for some people who might be a little behind, like, eh, what the hell is she talking about? So that's what I'm talking about. And it, to come into a space because, you know, the 90s was, was all about progressiveness, was all about consciousness consciousness being aware you have more you still have some of those crazy goofy kooky movies but you still have a lot of movies who have messaging and are reflective of what's going on in society that are depicting on the screens because this is again around the time where you have spike lee at his prime so and then you have a lot of now where you have the crossover in the 90s of hip-hop meeting cinema i.e kid and play queen latifah um you know, New Jack City with, you know, Christopher Williams, you know, Ted Riley, a lot of that. So it's like, we're going to go down to ones and give memories to what I feel personally are the top 90s movies of influence. And if there are some still out there that y'all feel I haven't addressed or shed light on, y'all let me know and shout out to me in the DMs or, you know, let be like, yo, Jess, how you forget this one? Ironically, the funny part about it is right now I'm just so 90s because I have on red slouch socks. Matching with my red shorts that I just told you I have from like my birthday that I still wear because they're like my ultimate favorites. With this hoodie, my baby door knockers in, looking real 90s. I told you like 90s is really my aesthetic. Like people be trying to, and it's crazy, like I told you, people ask me about 90s outfits when they go to these parties, when they go to parties. But people only ask me because they know 90s is literally my day-to-day on a regular basis. So, I think it's funny. So, the next movie we have on our list for 90s movies that influenced the culture, set it off. I know what you're thinking. Jess, you're only seeing set it off because Queen Latifah's in it. That's one reason. But set it off within itself was a true commodity to show sisterhood. Now, you also had Waiting to Exhale, but we'll get to that at some point. But right now, Set It Off is where we're at. And I'm going to say Set It Off because you have the true essence of what it is to struggle in, in California. Because you can't say they wasn't struggling. You had Stoney who had a little brother who was on his way to college and their parents passed. And she pretty much became his caretaker and provider. You had, you know, Cleo who was pretty much making ends meet, had a girlfriend and was never really, you know, trying to take scraps, always trying to get a lick. And then you always, you had, you know, Frankie who was Francesca who was actually a bank teller and had a decent, you know, common job. But it was not common to see a lot of melanated faces behind the counter. Then you had Titu who was a young, struggling, single mother just trying to do what's best for her son. Which is literally a storyline to exactly any black woman you probably have encountered in life at some point in time that you know or know of. Because Cleo was a lesbian, but I'm pretty sure you know an a AG lesbian or a stud lesbian out here. No problem hitting the lick, doing what they got to do to handle their business. But the thing that's really just struck me was they all were janitors and they cleaned up and they did what had to be done. That's a black woman. That's a black woman in general. Black women are going to always do what needs to be done to get where they got to go. And it's never going to be a situation where anybody is going to be able to tell them otherwise or deter them from the goal of having to provide by any means necessary on some Malcolm X shit. Single mother, on your own, good job where you basically make it ends meet and then you a care provider for your family, you're going to do what needs to be done. So they hit licks. 
Even though love came involved and the sacrifice it would involve, what's it gonna be if I can pretend no? That was my, y'all know I love in vogue. If y'all don't know, now y'all do. But like, Stoney being the only one to get out of it and then willing to take the bullets literally for her to be able to take what they all work together for, that's true essence of loyalty and togetherness. Something we don't often do anymore. You know what I'm saying? Umoja. Okay? Ujama. This is when the seven principles can really come into play, given it was not the best circumstances. But y'all know, if y'all don't know about Kwanzaa, this is where it really came into play. Nia. They had purpose. Kuji Jakalia. Self-determination. They was there. By any means, and even though all of them couldn't succeed, they made sure at least out of the one out of the four that somebody made it to the promise and all they did didn't go in vain. That's classic girl code. That's classic squad goals. Minus the felonies and the burglaries. But that's a 90s staple. Friday. Come on. Come on. Friday. Ice Cube, another person, hip-hop to acting. And he owns it. So this is something he created. Friday is something he created and was very prosperous with Friday, next Friday, Friday after next. Like, prosperous franchise. Period. And he even did, like, stuff like, are we there yet? Later down the road. But Friday is a classic. You just got knocked the fuck out. Hey, Miss Parker. I bet you right now, if I tell you to shout out three lines... From Friday, you're going to do it with no problem. Mm-hmm. Tell me I'm lying. Friday's one of them classics. How you get fired on your day off? You see what I'm saying? There's non-stop energy in Friday. Friday. Next Friday. You even had Nia Long, the icon post, one of the poster children and poster pillars of bad girls in the 90s. To this day, everybody's still rapping about how they wish it was old enough to date Nia Long, i.e. J. Cole. Friday's a classic. It just shows about a family from the hood literally on their everyday life and just trying to make it. Regina King? Come on. Like, you had top people in casting. Chris Rock, like you had, not Chris Rock. Look at me. You had top people in there when it came to Friday. Like, the quality cast, Yvette Wilson. Yvette Wilson was somebody who was, may she rest in peace. She had a prize role in that. You had, you know, Lester, Tiny Lester in there. May he rest in peace. You had uh, Bernie Mac, you know. It was it was quality it was a quality it was a quality cast. Um you had John Witherspoon, Chris Tucker, like it was a list, but it, it was a hood film that everybody could relate to. And at the time that's something that we wanted, that's pretty much what we were able to take South Central and literally take once again turning something into to making something out of nothing. And I salute Ice Cube for that because I don't know. I, I feel like if you ain't never watched, these are these are movies that I'm naming that if you never watched, you're not really, we're going to have to talk about your black card. Like, real talk. But Friday, classic. Menace to Society. Another freaking classic. 
Menace to Society, 90s staple. 1993, first of all, you had Lorenz Tate's fine ass in that goddamn movie. Okay? Lorenz Tate, Tyron Tucker, Jada Pinkett, Bill Duke, Charles Sutton, Charles Dutton from Rock. Jada Pinkett was in this joint. Like, come on, Jada and Lorenz, first of all. Y'all know about them and y'all know about Inkwell. So let's talk about that too. Them and Inkwell, Lorenz and Jada, crazy, crazy energy. But like Katie Kane and knowing that Tyron Turner, that pretty much was like the prominent role that kind of like made notoriety for him. But it talks yet again about another hood classic film. The struggles of the culture and what we go through just to survive. And sometimes as we put into situations and positions we don't fucking want to, like Kendrick just dropped his joint, Mr. Morale. And he talked about it even in the, in the you know, the hearts part five. Like, there's shit in the culture we got to go through, but we go through it because we have no choice but to do it. And in reality, you can't knock us because it's our culture. We always make something out of nothing. Door knockers, something out of nothing. Long nails, extra extravagant shit, something out of nothing. Gold, everything. Like, that's what we did. And it's just like, it was something that showed us the insides of what it is. I feel like for me or people on the East Coast, what West Coast life was. Because I feel like, you know, because hip hop originated in, in the East and a lot of stuff came from the East. You didn't really get to see the the aspect of it outside of like hip hop music of what was going on and really being depicted in movies. Um, so shout out to the Hughes Brothers for, for making that pop. But like... Watts and Crenshaw neighborhoods in Los Angeles. And this is literally after, like, around the time of the pinnacle of the L.A. riots. Because, yeah, I think about it. Like, Letitia was just not far from that time murdered. I, I want to say um, it wasn't too. I want to say that's right. Yeah, it wasn't too far. Like I said, it wasn't too far from the L.A. riots. Which was pretty much a startup because of Latasha Harlins when she got killed over some damn orange juice. So think about this post-LA riots and what the fuck going on in the streets. Like that, that's something you can't even, and that even goes down to boys in the hood. A boys trying to come up. You had freaking Morris Chestnut and more than anything, Loris Fishburne where we, I feel like we really got the insides of where I say that's a staple because it's a teaching opportunity of knowing what gentrification was. How many other movies in the 90s were really depicting what gentrification because that's kind of when it started happening where gentrification was really something where he was telling him like, yo, we gotta buy back what, you know, buy back the block because if we don't these white people gonna move us out and we gonna have nothing to show for it. Like, and he wasn't lying, but like Boys in the Hood was literally another one where it's kind of like you trying to struggle to survive Ice Cube yet again, South Central LA around the time in Los Angeles in 91. So this is right before everything got crazy. Cuba Gooding Jr., Nia Long, Regina King yet again, Angela Bassett, top star, all-star quality. And no and behold, who is this created by none other than the icon, the legend, John Singleton. May he rest in peace. It literally showed the coming of age, and it was a hood drama, but it was something of showing the coming of age and cultural, historical, and aesthetically significant of what it was as a black boy in the hood. Classic. Now, New Jack City. New Jack City. Okay. 
that's a new jack swing for real came shout out to teddy riley we'll talk about that any um another time but new jack city new jack swing was the reason it kind of came in because of new jack city and mario van peoples thomas lee wright barry michael cooper did they thing but Mario Van Peoples directed this, and may he rest in peace. Icon and a legend. Like, he really was a staple to black culture as an actor. But Nino Brown, y'all can't tell me there's not three lines. Y'all not going to be able to, to, to go ahead and pop off for New Jack, New Jack City. Chris Rock as a crackhead? The ultimate crackhead before we got the crackhead from Friday? My neck, my back, my neck and my back. Like, come on now. Like, you literally had Wesley Snipes, Ice-T, Chris Rock, Judd Nelson. Like, it was a crazy... And the fact that it was literally where Nino converts his apartment into a crack house. Like, how... You literally made your shit the spot. And called yourself Cash CMB. Cash Money's brothers to really become dominant drug rings in, 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 in New York City. That's some real shit. And when you got somebody named Pookie in the movie, everybody got at least one cousin Pookie. I don't care what nobody say, but that's how you know it's black and it's a hood culture classic because that shit boxed at eight, eight million and pretty much, no, that shit boxed at seven, $47.6 million and it cost $8 million to shoot. You can't tell me that was not exponentially. And that's what I'm saying. But movies in the 90s, they didn't just make profit. They made freaking surplus. Like, whatever they... They never just broke even. They always made their money back and some. And to this day, because they rerun them shits on, for sure on BET, and now that they got shits on uh, DVD, classics. Like, what? Like, it just shows how gutter and cut though it was because this really was a time where you really had niggas out here, like, getting hip to the, to the game because, mind you, we coming from a crack epidemic. So, like, it's a crime thriller film-based movie. But Mario Van Peoples did his thing. So, another black staple. Poetic justice. Rest in peace to Tupac. Literally, Janet Jackson's first role, which I found out that she asked for that role from watching her docuseries. Um, but Janet Jackson, Tupac Shakur, Tyra Farrell doesn't get enough fucking credit, yo. Tyra Farrell is that girl. Y'all might have known her from White Man Can't Jump, Okay. White man can't jump. She was in that. But, like, Tyra Farrell don't get her respect. Regina King was another one. Joe Torrey. Everybody knows Joe Torrey. But another film directed by none other than John Singleton. When I say John Singleton and Spike Lee were those, were, were, were those niggas in the 90s and still was able to carry on because we still have shows like Snowfall and, like, real shit that's still on Netflix, like, all that other shit. When I say John Singleton, his creative genius is unmatched between him and Spike. They took over the 90s and still was able to progress into like the, the 2000s. That's classic art. But it was different for us because we were able to see a romantic drama film, but on a black perspective. Because I feel like at that time, there was a lot of white depictions of love, but we weren't seeing a lot of ourselves. But this is following the success of the debut of Boys in the Hood, which is why John Singleton went ahead and wanted to take it and give the voice to a young African-American woman. And I will always respect that because he literally was like, you know what? These black boys had a voice. I got to give my sisters a voice too. And I will always respect John Singleton for that because it's not often you're able to have somebody have that versatility 
to give the option of veil for a black woman to speak her voice and see through the eyes and the lenses of her, you know, see the eyes and lenses of a woman. $14 million budget, $27.5 million. Come on now. Q-Tip was in that joint too, for God, because that was a boyfriend that got shot. Period. But none, nonetheless, like, Janet received an Academy Award and Global nominations for that, for the song again. And that was, huh. And the following because of this, because of the chemistry between Janet and Tupac was wicked. But you know what's crazy though? Jada Pinkett, Lisa Bonet, and Monica Calhoun, which we all know have been in 90s classics, period. All wanted that role and, and Janet got it. And at this point, I really can't see nobody else having it but her. Again, another film based in the West and South Central. I know you're probably like, Jess, why you keep talking about all these you know, these movies on the West Coast. What about the people on the East? I mean, I had New Jack City, but I'm trying to say the best for last. So y'all just got to work with me because y'all know I'm a New Yorker. I got y'all. But we just going to take it to the South real quick. You know what I'm saying? We just going we just gonna to take it to the South real quick. You know what I'm saying? We're going to take it to Bad Boys, 1995. Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. Okay? Period. The beginning of, of greatness. Okay? I know it wasn't a black person that filmed it, but because they're two black men that get black stories and Mike Lowry and Marcus Burnett, it's kind of like you got to talk about it and put it in there with the 90s classes of 90s black films. Bad Boys had a $19 million budget and box office $141.4 million. Did y'all hear what I just said? $19 million budget. Box offer box office numbers of one hundred forty one point four million. That is not even double. That's not triple. That's my nigga. That's like quadruple of what the budget was. But you wanna know probably why? White man behind it. You. I'm not trying to go there, but you think about it. All movies I said that had black directors, they made surplus, like I said, but they wasn't doing them like that. Okay. But to try to be able to have that, I feel like it was dope to see black men have, first of all, honest jobs, be behind a badge, but show that brotherhood and how far you can get in behind the blue badge, as they would say, to kind of like flourish. You know, black people in the, in the cops ain't really the thing. But when it comes to Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, you got to give them credit because they did the damn thing. Nutty Professor. Yes. Y'all know I love me some Eddie Murphy. Okay. Nutty Professor. And if y'all didn't know, Bad Boys was originally done in 1961. It was white. The same way with the Nutty Professor in 1963. Um, but of course, it takes something black to bring it back. And that's what gives it reckon and notoriety. Because who in the hell remembers the Nutty Professor from 1963? Who the fuck remembers Bad Boys from 1961? Oh, okay. That's what I thought. Again, here we are. The Melanin Makes the Magic. Um, as opposed to the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde concept, which, which it originally started from, um, this is here, once again, double numbers. $54 million budget. $274 million box office. And do y'all see the difference in the budgets as well, too? Just wanted to point that out there. Y'all know I wouldn't be me if I don't try to make y'all think and put some stuff out there to have y'all thinking outside of your normal. So, The Nutty Professor, you had Eddie Murphy, Jada Pinkett, yet again, Dave Chappelle, and 
the plot of, you know, him trying to be skitty, Sherman Clumps, Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. Everybody know that line. Um, but I just think it was dope because it really shows a lot of what we still deal with today. And I'm being on a serious note of normally it's a woman that's not okay with her size. Normally it's a black woman that's trying to fight, you know, the stigmas of the criticism of the world, but to see it from a male's black male's perspective and him going to extreme lengths to be able to get what needs to be done to one, get his recognition as who he is as a, as a professor, but as a scientist and all because of who his appearance doesn't allow him to do as such, but buddy love, it gives him the confidence. Sometimes that's us where we feel like we have to have an alter ego or a second part of us to give us what we need in our confidence. But whole time deep down inside, we had it all along. So we don't need to hide behind what we feel is right as our facade or what we need to depict to what's acceptable to society, make it digestible, but do it in our own skin of where we are and how we can present it. So to me, classic. So I told you we're going to come back to this one. Waiting to exhale. Count on me through thick and thin, a friendship that will never end. When you are weak, I will be strong. Okay. Yeah, I had to give you a little, <clears throat> a little <clears throat> real quick. But yo, y'all already know, waiting to exhale, baby, Loretta Divine. Okay. Loretta Divine, Angela Bassett. Leela Rashawn and Whitney the Voice Houston. Forrest Whitaker. Yes, Forrest Whitaker directed that. You see how it's crazy how a lot of these actors were directors before we even knew they was directors, real talk. $16 million budget, $82 million at the box office. Okay. Music by Babyface, of course, wouldn't be none other. But if you think about this all-star cast, it's literally a Polar opposite, but somewhat of a dichotomy to set it off, right? Because you still have four friends, loyal in friendship, loyal in what life it has them, teaching them, dealing them hands, you know, messing with the married man, with, you know, messing with the married man is what Whitney's character, you know, was going through Savannah. Then you had Bernadine, who was over here going through, you know, her husband, you know, messing with the secretary where she's dealing with the infidelity and trying to find her own life and path because all she does has been in this background. Then you have, you know, Robin, who's out here pretty much, you know, you're <sighs> always finding herself. She was a mistress, too, to a married man, you know, but trying to find something more suitable for herself and ends up getting pregnant in the, in the option. And she also have glow, which is Gloria who becomes a single mother and her ex-husband tells her that he was always been bisexual, but he's now gay and then falls in love with her new neighbor. Ooh, y'all already know her new neighbor. Like freaking rest in peace to Gloria, uh, Gregory Hans. Love that man. But like Gregory Hans. So like, it's a lot going on. So there's a lot of infidelity going around. And there's a lot of what the fuck? But somehow, some way, they come together and stick together and literally. And y'all forgot Giancarlo Esposito, classic. Y'all better, y'all know that name because y'all watched School Days. If y'all haven't, y'all are a disgrace. But I put School Days in here. FYI, School Days is not a part of this. And y'all know I love School Days because it was actually created in 1988. So didn't make the cut for the 90s. But y'all know it's a classic. But nonetheless, like it just showed up 
and showed the reality of how much women, and the fact that it's focused in Arizona is even more crazy, but of them holding their breath until the day they can finally feel comfortable in committed relationships with men. Waiting to, and think about the power in the title, waiting to exhale. A lot of black women are still to this day waiting to exhale. To find themselves not having to hold their breath to be comfortable to be in a relationship with men. Mm, 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 mm. Crazy. Blade, we already know what about. Blade was like, to me, iconic, and I say this in the 90s because how often do you see black, a black vampire? I'm not even going to talk about the whole thing in general. I'm going to say black vamp- vampire when it comes to Wesley Snipes. Okay? That's what make, makes Blade a... A classic only because of Wesley Snipes. And that's we're just going to leave it at that. We're not going to talk about nobody else. Belly. Now y'all know. Belly. Rest in peace to DMX. Belly was a classic. Okay. Period. Like Belly was a hood crime classic. Okay. This is Hype Williams. If y'all know Hype Williams, Hype Williams is like the icon of the icons when it comes to music videos. He's done like Missy Elliott's video, Busta Rhymes. Like he was that dude in the 90s when it came to videos. Anybody want their video done, you go to Hype Williams. But this was his directorial debut and he, chef's kiss. Based in New York City, you had Nas and DMX, Tarot Hicks, Method Man, and T-Boss. Did y'all hear what I just said? Nas. DMX, Tarot Hicks, T-Boss, and Method Man. Like, dog, what? The story was directed, written, and the movie was directed, written, and storied by, as well as produced by Hype Williams. Hype Williams don't get enough his credit, bro. But the fact that it was literally at the, you know, had a $3 million budget and did $9.6 million in the box office. Not too bad, but you know... Think about it. It's about, again, drug lord. Drug lord conspiracies. Like, it was um, it was crazy. It had infidelity and the fact that they saw it. And, they had, and this is, again, when we see Tyron Turner from Boys in the Hood make his debut as the Oklahoma uh, Omaha drug dealer. You got Method Man as Father Shaw. You know, Keisha. Everybody know Keisha. Tommy Girlfriend. And, you know, it's, it's just... Him trying to go back, I think what's the most influential part about Belly for me is not the drugs, not the infidelity, not the wildness, not all of the craziness, but the fact that the the whole point was to prepare the drugs to, to just leave the life to move to Africa. It's crazy to know that he wanted to go back to his roots of the motherland, which is pretty much depicted Go back to the loops of where he started for him to feel like he was more welcome to be in a space that's understood by him or understood that understood who he was because he was done with what society forced his hand to do, but wanted to do what was what he felt philosophically, morally and strategically right in his spirit. Belly's a classic. Juice. Juice. Tupac, yo, when I said Tupac, while Tupac was here, he literally made his mark in these films, baby. I ain't gonna hold you. Juice is another is another movie that shows us of friendships, disloyalty, and how far it can go when niggas just get too much power. Okay? Crime thriller film, 
by Ernest Dickerson, okay, that had Omar Epps, Jermaine Hopkins, Khalil Kane, and Tupac Shakur. Khalil Kane is fine as hell. Always has been, always will be. Like, Khalil Kane, eh, eh, his fine ass. He always been fine to me. I'm sorry. I just had a moment. But y'all know Jermaine Hopkins, too, from Lean On Me. So, everybody knows him. But, like, when Bishop get a little too power, too much power, but the fact that Q was really trying to be a DJ and... The fact that literally my nigga shot his own man, showed up to the funeral, and then, like, thought shit was sweet. And Q knew whole time. Like, you showed up, you murdered your homeboy Raheem. Poor Khalil. Show up to his funeral. You think niggas didn't know a peep you all over a gun over some bullshit, and then you then try to smoke your other homie. Like, and this is all based on Harlem, just so you know. And Cindy Heron's in it, if y'all know who Cindy is. Cindy plays Yolanda, which is Q's girlfriend, who happens to be a member of En Vogue. Y'all see how all of these movies, these dope-ass 90s black movies, literally intertwine because somehow somebody, either somebody was on a soundtrack, acted in it, or they're actually actors or directors and some shit where they have a crossover into this type shit. Like, it was dope. But, like, I feel it literally shows the true colors of disloyalty, and what it can do when you literally have too much power. There's When you have a group of people and there's always going to be... If y'all originally were moving as a pack together to put each other on. And y'all get that one big-headed pompous motherfucker who just don't know what to do with all that power. One one man should have all that power. That's what Kanye said. And you let them have all that power and control. And they've never been in that position to ever be a leader. Or know what it takes to be a leader of the wolf pack. It's, it's, it's doomed for disaster. Especially when they feel like there's some shit that, that you have that they deserve and they can't get. Don't ever think for a fact that that's not a replication of what the fuck goes on today in today's society. Like, think about it. Like, really think about think Young Dolph got killed by somebody who knew him. Niggas be out here killing other niggas off the strength of them making it out of the situations that they were once in. And because it's not them, it's wicked. Like, Nipsey Hussle, another one, murdered by somebody who knew of him or knew him. Like, the mindsets of jealousy will take you the envy. Yo, when I tell you greed and envy is a hell of a drug, whew, add some silver bullets to that joint, it's over. Low down, dirty shame. Y'all know Jada in that too. Low down, dirty shame. <sighs> that was a movie. Low down, a low down dirty shame. You had Keeney Ivory Ways who directed it. And y'all know Keenan was already on the scene, like I said before, when he did um In Living Color. So now this is him branching out into another. You have Charles S. Dutton again, Jada Pinkett, Sally Richardson Whitfield, who now is a Whitfield, and pretty much is pretty much a I feel like a reimagined action comedy with Shaft. Like it's pretty much Shaft, but in the 90s, if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? So it had a two twenty nine point four million dollar box office, um, and pretty much you take a private investigator, high risk jobs, sex, money, comedy, and low down dirty shame. I mean that's pretty much what comes comes into the situation, and to me it's just a staple. But this other movie, Life, Martin Lawrence, Eddie Murphy, like, come on now. Classic. 
classic. Like, Life is a movie that shows literally, first of all, because y'all know bootlegging was illegal back in the early 1920s. Hello. So, being bootlickers, trying to smuggle liquor over across state lines, get caught. And then now all of a sudden, y'all are in jail for life because they accuse you wrongfully of something that you never did, even though it was something minute. But there's really niggas that was actually killers in there that deserve life. Like, but it was a, it just showed the togetherness because they literally both were wrongly convicted of murder and was sentenced life in prison. And whole time to see this shit. And this is in Mississippi. Okay. Mississippi is low below the Mason-Dixon line. Which means there was no fair trial. They didn't like KKK out and open. But it was musically. It was music by that man that I will not name. That's locked up for being sick in the head. And Wyclef Jean. And you had Martin Lawrence and Eddie Murphy. This is one of the movies that didn't do well, I feel like, until after the fact because it had an $80 million budget, but a 73.3 is what it made in the box office, so it kind of had, like, of a loss. But I feel like as you get older and you... I feel like Life is one of those movies that you watch growing up, but as you get older, you really see how much life really is a part of life. Like, it was where they literally escaped themselves and where they're sitting at the football, the baseball game and people think they're dead, but the whole time they literally escaped prison after being in prison for over decades of being wrongfully accused. And the funny thing about it is, like, to this day, you still have people having convictions overturned because they've been wrongfully accused of crimes they've never committed. Like, that's where art depicted life. Like, think about it. The five, the convicted five from New York, that literally did nothing but were convicted for a murder for somebody they had no no correlation to and literally took years of their life. You still have black men being convicted of murders and stuff because that's what the system's designed for is to keep us away from the privileges and opportunities that they built that they feel that we don't fucking deserve. So, hmm. Cool Runnings. Okay. My movie. Cool Runnings. Hello. First ever Jamaican. We're the first Jamaican bobsled team. Okay. Cool Runnings is a classic because it takes us out of the element of just the American perspective of what we see in life, but how life is in other cultures, especially because they wanted to go to the Olympics. Um, it was dope. You had like Leon Robinson, Dougie Doug, Raleigh Lewis, Malik Yoda, John Candy, like... It was a dope cast, but I just think it was just dope because you take a, a sprinter and put him in an element of wanting to do the Winter Olympics and just see how they come together to fulfill a dream and a prophecy that they feel that have never has never been done ever. $17 million budget, $154.9 million at the box office. Now, I feel like she deserved an Academy Award for this. But she didn't. What's love got to do with it? Angela Bassett deserved it because when I said she played the hell out of Tina Turner in her biopic, she was robbed. And y'all can't tell me what's love got to do with it. Just eat the cake, get a man. Eat the cake. She had it down to the mannerisms, down to the point where they was in the limo. You wanted to jump through the screen and yoke the shit out of Ike your damn self. Like, that's a classic that doesn't get enough credit. Boomerang, I will say, is something that they tried to bring back um, on BET as a sitcom 
Holly Berry did, to me, it didn't do too well. But I feel like the cast is what brings the real essence to why this is a black staple. Um, because of it being Eddie Murphy, Holly Berry, Robin Givens, David Allen Grill, Martin Lawrence, Grace motherfucking Jones, Eartha the Queen Kit, and Chris Rock. Like, you literally had everybody. Oh, yeah, and Jeffrey Holder. You literally had everybody in a mama with Reginald Hudlin as a director. Black director. Come on now. Like, $42 million budget, $131 million in box office. But it's like, it just shows of how men go through what they do now, being womanizers, okay, going through the motions to try to, when they finally get somebody who meets their match, which is what Holly Berry was, they want to try to settle down, but she don't want that. So when they have to have the same stipulations placed against them, it's an issue. But when they do it, it's not a problem. Double standards. And that's exactly what we deal with today because I really feel like they're still peeing in the dating pool because literally, like, what is going on here? Okay? Everybody got some damn agenda. Like, baby, you're not going to play me like Atari. I got this unlocked. But I feel like that movie, because of the cast alone, it just spoke volumes and it's a staple because Leela Rashawn, John Witherspoon, you even had Tisha Campbell too as well. Like the cast within itself and BB Drake, it just shows the essence of how you can literally have what actors can bring to the screen. Same thing with Crooklyn. Everybody know Crooklyn. Crooklyn, you have some people in Crooklyn that were literally in the movie that you probably never seen again. But again, Alfre Woodard, Delroy Lindo, Spike Lee, Zelda Harris. Zelda Harris played Troy. Iconic works. $14 million, but only had 13.6 in the box office. Not the best, but one of Spike's, one of Spike's, one of, I would say one of Spike's greatest. He did this, I think, with his sisters. Um, his sister, he did it with his sister Josie and the younger, his younger brother, Sinquay. So this is literally a, a Lee family film. Um, and it was literally one of his second of two films that he directed, I think, because he did Malcolm X first. Um, and she's gotta have it. School days. So yeah, it was he was pretty much like getting his footing, but the the essence of showing black families in the seventies and then coming together and still going through the struggle, but always still finding a way to find the silver lining despite everything like even when her mother passed and knowing she was sick the way the father came together and like made something happen and then like literally showing how families could be so diverse but still be the same when she goes to the south and visits her you know her her aunt Maxine and uncle brown and you know the obsession with queenie the dog and this uppity, you know, upper echelon lifestyle of proper etiquette and one, two, three, the devil's after me. Like that whole situation, like it just shows like how literally where you want to take it back for real full force, you want to keep it a hundred. It shows house nigga to feel nigga. Like you go ahead and do the scrapes of because I'm on the inside, I got, I'm a little better than you. So you got to kind of follow suit where it's a lot of judgment and you cannot tell me to this day in society, we don't still have a lot of people who have that mindset. Okay, that's why I say Crooklyn, top tier on the list. Another classic, The Preacher's Wife. The Preacher's Wife with <laughs> Whitney 
Houston. Nippy, you had Whitney Houston. And it's funny because it was based off The Bishop's Wife, which is a 1947 screenplay by Leonardo Bacovici. Um, that's where it really came from. And Penny Marshall was the director, which is a white woman, which we're not really caring about her. But the fact that it became a black film, okay, because it came from an African-American Baptist church, um... That was supposed to be based in New York, but y'all know it wasn't New York because y'all can just tell from the scenery it wasn't really New York. But you had Whitney Houston, Denzel Robinson, Denzel Washington, excuse me, Courtney B. Vance, Gregory Hines, Jennifer Lewis, and Loretta Devine. Baby, that cast alone shut the whole movie down. Jennifer Lewis is iconic. Okay, that's the black mother of Hollywood. But to have Whitney Houston, that soundtrack too as well, crazy. And Justin Pierre Edmund was the cutest as um, Jeremiah. The cutest little boy. But I feel like it was definitely necessary because it just shows sometimes the strife that even in the church, everything ain't perfect. Okay? Dudley came in, was starting to feel a little bit on Julia. And it was like, whoa, back up. You're here to be an angel to do a job. Don't get too mannish. And then you still have a man who literally gets so caught up in his work and to do the diligence of the community that you forget about home. Hence where it still happens to this day where a lot of pastors, preachers, and teachers are focused so much on the community given that there's, that's their calling. But you got to also remember that you're called to be the man of your household as well where your wife and your family has a need and a, a part of you too where you have to be able to learn to prioritize your time and don't get too caught up. And what it is on what's going to happen, but what's in the now. Um, Booty Calls, another one. Movie's classic, but we got to go to BAPS. BAPS is what's more bigger because black American princesses. Okay. Holly Berry. Um, I just think it was oh, BAPS. Like, <sighs> BAPS was. Man, Baps was something else. And then you had, um, I'm sorry. Because it's just like, when you think, because if you think and look at about these movies, a lot of people that were in these movies have like long gone and passed away. And it's just like, damn, like, damn, like, it just blows your mind, like. I just think it's crazy because Baps was by from Holly Berry. You had Holly Berry and you also had Natalie Dizel. And Natalie Dizel passed away. You had Anthony Johnson, AJ Johnson, who played James. Like the Baps is really about black American princesses who really wanted to have better for themselves and really believed in themselves and literally embody everything of black culture. Think about it. Crazy hair, long nails, crazy outfits, literally willing to just out here and just do whatever. No matter how ghetto it looked, they were going to make it. And they did. And I feel like that's what is what makes BAPS an iconic staple in 90s film, black films, because it was unapologetically authentic. And how many how many years have you not seen somebody dress up in a BAPS costume? Oh, why? Right. There's that. End of that. Eve's Bayou iconic cast iconic motherfucking cast you have lynn whitfield samuel l jackson debbie morgan Vondi curtis hall branford marsalis lisa nicole carson journey smollett and diane carroll 
as well as none other than Megan Good. Okay? Megan Good. Where Megan literally had an Oedipus complex where she was obsessed and in love with her father. Where she lied and said that he was raping her. Whole time she was pushing herself onto her father. Talk about six twisted shit. But Journey played the 10-year-old little sister. And mind you, this is on Louisiana. Louisiana, everybody know what's good for the voodoo hoodoo where all the spirits and naturalness lies, okay? And for a $3 million budget and then to box off of $14 million, baby, that's uh, four times of what was it was worth. And it was well-deserved. It's just to know that your aunt Elzora is a fortune teller, which is Debbie Morgan. And y'all go up in this household and it just feels like it's a wife with just like, it's a strange, it's strange fruit. It's a strange mood. Um... Like, wait, correction. So pretty much while her father was drunk, he attempted to molest her. So that's what that was. And because she shared that, her aunt Elzora, who was the fortune teller, put a voodoo spell to put her fatal, a fatal curse on their father. Um, Yeah, so that's how that goes. But it just... um. It's just like you got one of them kids who just like speaks their mind and just don't give one goddamn. And you got one of those kids who just like claim. I don't know. It it, it was one of them. It was like kind of like one of those situations that's kind of like beloved. Like the movies you kind of just be like, eh, you got to have the, the patience, the stomach and the distinction to know what to acclaim from real and was fake. But she claimed he molested, like I said. She made it up in her man. And she kissed him. And he reacted by slapping the shit out of her ass and pushing her to the ground, which made her mad where she made up the lie, which ended up, which really caused, honestly, the death of her father. So that's the reason why I say ease by you because I feel like it, it deeps more into the roots of culturally, historically, and ecstatic, ecstatic significance of Southern Gothic drama, or what we say, supernatural. So, you know I can leave this one off the list. Soul food, hello, soul food, period. Like, everybody's seen soul food. Big mama just wanted y'all to come together. Soul food is literally a double entendre. It speaks of the fact of soul food is what literally black folks eat and what literally is what we had as scraps and what brings us together on Sundays after church. But as well as with that soul food comes soul food where we always nourish by having the family together. It nourishes your body, your soul, and your spirit. So another comedy drama film produced by Babyface and Tracy Edmonds um, where you had an all-star cast, um, even had George Tillman Jr., be the actual um, director of this amazing film. But you have Vanessa Williams, Vivica A. Fox, Nia Long, Michael Beach, Makai Pfeiffer, Jeffrey D. Sams, Irma P. Hall, Gina Rivera, and Brandon Hammond. What? All based in Chicago with a close-knit family with Big Mama. You got life happening once that one staple, which is a lot that happens, which is happening more frequently than not nowadays, where you have the staple of the family who, once she leaves... There goes the their the tradition. So budgeted at seven point five million, box office of forty three point seven million. But once the passing happens, that's when you start having the fuse, the disagreements. 
family, sister, sister, rivalry, sister, internal issues between Bird and Maxine, thinking she stole Kenny, all this other stuff. Just wild stuff. Like, Terry, no, Terry and Maxine over Kenny, because she thinks Maxine stole Kenny because she found him fucking in the back seat. You got family, I long distance family fucking family. The family fucked my husband. That kind of stuff where you like black women get to their breaking point where it's a lot of stuff where you can see a black woman, but literally see a black woman and see the stuff that's internalized and see it depicted on the screen and say, damn, I know how she feel because ain't not one black woman at least once in this world who's been through that shit um, or has had to come to a space where it's like, do we sell Big Mama's house or do we make it work? Or you have an older family member that's living in the house where it's just like... What would she want? Don't do what y'all want for y'all. Do what works for what's best of what to honor her wishes and honor her legacy. And then, you know, you always have somebody who got a jailbird. You know, Bird was messing with Lim, who was a jailbird, ended up having a child together. And, you know, you got that one sister who felt like she better than everybody. I know I have one of those, but we're not going to get there. And um, goes ahead and just feels like she can judge and just say whatever about everybody else's life. Like, her shit don't stink. But she the most fucked up one out of everybody. True black family. Soul food for your soul food. Players motherfucking club. The Players Club? Mm. Actually, the first role that Lisa Ray ever had. Ah, yeah, that was Lisa Ray's first role. The, the role that put her on the motherfucking map. Um, Ice Cube directed, again, another Ice Cube film. You had AJ Johnson, Monica Calhoun, Bernie Mac, Ice Cube, Alex Thomas, Lisa Ray, Jamie Foxx, and John Amos. Okay. Uh, had Adele Givens. Um, pretty much showing how you're a black woman will make something happen by any means necessary. $5 million budget, 23.3 in the box office. Um, and it just shows how much of by how Diana would do any means necessary. We even have Christelle Wilson in there where you do any means necessary to better yourself where Diamond's trying to go to school, get her education and better herself and ends up getting caught up in, you know, the stripping life, but doesn't let the, you know, make that money. Don't let that money make you. We all know that line um, where she doesn't let it consume her and get the best of her. Um, and legit goes ahead, goes back to be with her mother at, at a point in time and kind of gets her footing back on track. And her cousin comes, visit, falls into the lifestyle, but she let that money make her where it fucked her up, where, you know, it got her in a pretty bad position of being, you know, gang raped and, and beaten. And it just shows how, again, money is the root of evil if you allow it. And if you're trying to do better and you be so quick to follow others' paths and not knowing that that might be the devil of destruction, not knowing what path is going to lead you down, it could derail you from your destination. Forget a detour. So I feel like that's a classic and none other to kill it all and be the last and the final, the best man. I am so glad to know that the best man is coming out with a part, part three. I seen it. I seen it. Um, I think Sanaa Lathan and Tay Diggs... Um, Posted it that they were filming again, but the Best Man Holiday was decent too. I'm mad we had to wait so long, but Malcolm D. Lee is the director of that, which you have produced by Spike Lee. Um, Tay Diggs, Nia Long, Morris Chestnut, Harold Perrineau, Terrence Howard, Sanaa Lathan, Monica Calhoun, and Melissa, Melissa De Sosa. Um, everybody know the Best Man. Again, friendships, intermingling, entanglements. 
Um, $9 million budget, $34.5 million box office. Um, unfinished business, you have Stripper Gone Housewife. You have domineering girlfriend who leaves a meagle guy who becomes the husband to the old stripper. Um, and everything is unveiled in the process. Um, but Candy, everybody knows that that song to be Candy by Canrio to be the distinguished song um, for that. And I think it's beautiful to see how even from Best Man to even Best Man Holiday, even I know it's not a 90s film, it just shows how sometimes life will hand you some shit, you'll do some fucked up shit, but it's all depending on you and one, what your heart forgives, i.e. what Lance had to do um, with Harper. And then it also is like you're looking at people who probably have relations or soul ties to somebody else in y'all friend group. So how much can y'all sustain in y'all true affirmations of what this friendship really is and how it builds? 90s black movies. I'm telling you, 90s black movies are unmatched. And there again, that's nothing but the 90s part two. Thanks for kicking it with me. I'll be back with y'all for next week for nothing but the 90s part three, 90s hip hop. As I always say on air, let's keep it real. And I always tell y'all, be real, be true, and always be unapologetically you. Thanks for kicking it with me, and I'll see y'all next time.